You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Father, the best we know how, we place our anxieties, fears, worries, hurts, anger, and pain into your capable hands. The best we know how, we cast our anxieties upon you because you care for us. And Lord, we know that there's no one in the universe that cares more about the people of Uvalde, and no one's heart was broken more than yours. And so we pray for solutions that will create real change. But in the meantime, we mourn with those who mourn. And we seek you in and through your word by the presence of your Holy Spirit, Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. You guys go ahead and take a seat. And you know, uh, we planned out these topics a long time ago. And the topic that happened to hit today, let me show it to you, is that your struggle becomes your story. And when we planned this topic out, we did not know the numbers of people that would be going through a struggle. We didn't know the struggle that would happen. And you know, this struggle down in Uvalde is now a part of your story, whether you want it to be or not. We all remember what happened on days of tragedy that becomes a part of our life stories, right? And so some of you who are old enough to have lived through September 11th, you'll never forget what you were doing the first time you saw on a screen the images of those planes hitting those buildings. And others of you remember just in recent years when George Floyd was killed. And uh, others of you remember the last thing you did before the pandemic hit and we had to go into quarantine, right? Because all those things, all those events are part of your story. And these uh, circumstances are a life-altering experience for the people of Uvalde, and it will forever be a part of their life stories because now their struggle is their story. And as you think about your life story, what are the life-altering struggles that you've gone through in your past, maybe in your present? If you've been around here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about many of my life struggles that have now become my story You've heard me tell many times about how over 20 years ago, I went through one of the greatest struggles of my life, spiritually, emotionally, in my marriage. I almost lost my marriage. I had to get out of the ministry at that time in my life, went to work in the marketplace. And you've heard the story of how God restored my marriage and my ministry and all of that. But what I haven't told you very many times is how I knew I was supposed to go back into the ministry from the marketplace, because there were a lot of things rolling through my head during those years when I was offered the opportunity to come back into ministry. uh, A lot of things were going through my head. Can I tell you some of my thoughts? I was thinking to myself, do I really want to go back into the ministry? Because what if people remind me of my mistakes of the past? What if people bring up that old stuff? What am I going to feel like if people bring that stuff up? 
And then I thought, do I really want to get back into that where I have to deal with people's problems all the time? Because after all, if I wasn't in the ministry right now, I would have gone to one service today rather than four, and I'd be sitting around having brunch somewhere. You know what I'm saying? And so uh, it could be a lot easier. And then another thing that went through my mind was a practical matter is that do I want to take the pay cut of going from the marketplace back in to the ministry? But you know what helped me turn the corner and convince me? where I was supposed to go and what I was supposed to do was when I thought about the experiences I was having in the marketplace and my bosses would oftentimes invite me into their offices to pray with them and give them spiritual counsel and then other employees would sometimes ask for prayer when they were going through hard times and they would even call me pastor sometimes. And I came out of that encounter and that experience knowing who I am and knowing what I'm for. That is a gift to know who you are to know what you're for. And you can take the pastor out of the church, but you can't take the pastor out of the guy, right? And so I knew I was supposed to go ahead and just make official what I was already doing, you know? And I decided to go ahead and talk about my struggles and tell my story. And now there's an army of us broken people here at City Tribe Church who are encountering the restoration of Jesus and going out into our city and out into our world to share our stories, to see people changed and encountering the Lord. I came to know my poodle purpose, and it always starts when your struggle becomes your story. But here's what I want you to understand today is there's a spiritual enemy out there that does not want you to share your story, especially doesn't want you to get in touch with all that happened through your struggle and share that struggle as a part of your story. Let me show you this uh, with the early believers in Revelation 12, 11. It says, and they have defeated him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by their what? Testimony. Your testimony is just your story. Look at what John said in 1 John 5, 10. He said, whoever believes in the Son of God has the what? Testimony in himself. And so your testimony is not just your life story, but it's the intersection of your story with Jesus. And when your story intersects with Jesus, it changes everything and it releases a spiritual power to not only show change in your life, but help others to change. And the thing I love about the Bible is it's one testimony or story after another. And I've been studying story for many, many years because I love to tell stories. I love to hear stories. I love to watch stories on a screen. So I'm going to show you a few books that have been helpful for me. One's by Dan Allender. It's called To Be Told. Another one's by Donald Miller, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Then the third one is Robert McGee. He's a screenwriter. And if you hit the QR code, you can see all the resources I referenced today in the talk along with notes and the like. But what most people will say that write about stories, there are five components of a good story. Let me show them to you real quick. Number one, a good story has to have a changing lead character. Number two, a good story has to have characters who affect the lead character. Number three, a good story has a conviction from the lead character, a good ambition. 
Then number four, there's an inciting incident that starts the ball rolling in the story. And then number five, there's resolution to the story. So let's break down each of these. And I want you to think about each of these elements in light of your story. So number one, uh, a good story involves a changing lead character. We like stories, we like books, we like movies where the main character is someone we like, but not someone who's too utterly perfect. You know what I'm saying? And when we, when we see that, it's because we know what reality is. And we know that some of these people, even though they look really nice and they look kind of perfect, we know the reality is that most people have made mistakes and gone through struggles and hard times. This is my theory as to why Batman has one of the most movies made about him as a superhero rather than some of the other superheroes because some superheroes are kind of overpowered, if you know what I mean. But we gravitate towards Batman because of his struggle and his pain. He's actually more relatable than some of the other superheroes. And before I go comic book geek on you, let's move on with the, the sermon here. But it's what I love about the Bible characters is that the Bible is so raw. And when you read it, you're like, are you kidding me, dude? You made the Bible? I mean, you're jacked up, you know? And so one of the characters we're going to look at today is Jacob. And uh, the thing about all these Bible characters is they reveal something about God. They reveal how God will take someone with one name and change their name. Because their name reflects the change of their character that God makes a difference in their life. And so you can see on screen that Jacob, that, that name, it means con artist or manipulator. So next time you see one of your friends named Jacob, just say, hey, manipulator, how's it going? Okay, that's what your name means, right? Um, and that was the way that, you know, Jacob lived. He, he, he manipulated other people. And then God let him see the natural consequence of his own manipulation and then God was able to change his heart and change his name to Israel, which means one who struggles with God. It's like the name of a nation from which Jesus, the Messiah, would be born. And some of you are still living in your old name. You know what I'm saying? You know what that old name is. It's the old person you used to be that tries to creep up on you from time to time. You know the old names like addict. Like, I'm a victim, like I'm a jerk, like I'm worthless and all that. But what God says is, no, let's live by your new name. You're victorious, right? You're living in, you, you have freedom now in Christ. You're an overwhelming conqueror. That is your new name. And so consider in your own mind, what would you like your new name to be? that reflects the positive image of Christ in you. And so write down, type in your phone, your new name. Consider your name. We tend to live up or down to our name, do we not? But let's look at the second part of a good story. Every good story has characters who affect the lead character. If you look at the story of Jacob, there are all these different characters that affected his life. One of the characters that affected the life of Jacob was his brother Esau. How many of you know your brothers and sisters can affect your lives in a significant way, right? And so Jacob had manipulated his brother, and you know what it led to? It led to some tension there. And his brother Esau's name actually means red because he was angry 
all the time. He was bigger. He wanted to fight. He was manlier. He was hairier. I mean, he probably liked sports more, okay? And he always wanted to fight with his brother, Jacob, some of you have that brother. His mother's name is Rebecca. Now, Rebecca, she favored Jacob. How would it feel for you? And some of you know how this feels if your mother favored one of your siblings more. And Rebecca was manipulative. I think that Jacob got his manipulation from his mom, Rebecca, in the scriptures. And it evidently ran on that, in that side of the family because Rebecca's brother named Laban, who was actually, you know, Jacob's crazy manipulative T.O. uncle, you know, is like he, he was a manipulator as well. And then the last character in Jacob's story would be his dad, Isaac. And, you know, Isaac was like this biblical patriarch. So how would you like to have to live up to that standard? Your dad is like a biblical patriarch and you have to live up to that standard There are characters in your story that have made a huge impact on your life, and you have to come to terms with that impact. That's why I like the work of Pete Scazzaro. He gives this tool called genogram, and a genogram is basically an exercise you can do. If you hit the QR code, it'll lead you to a genogram exercise where you can work through all the different members of your family and how they made an impact in your life, see? But when you do this exercise, a lot of us call it an inventory. It's one of the things that we do in our Cultivate class here at City Tribe Church. But when you can come to terms with the people that have helped you and honor them and the people that have hurt you and forgive them, then your story can be transformed to restore other people, see? But when you go through any type of inventory or genogram, you have to do so with humility. You know why? Because just like there are family members and friends and work colleagues and, you know, other people in your life that are characters in your story, right now you're the character in someone else's story. And, you know, some of us in our worst moments, you know, we've done things that have damaged other people unknowingly and many times unintentionally. And so we have to work through this with a lot of humility. But where you start is you write down the names of the characters in your story. If you've never done that, go through, think through it. But let's look at the third characteristic of a good story, and that is a conviction of the lead character, a conviction of the lead character. In good stories, the main character wants something that's good, has a good ambition. So what did Jacob want? He wanted the blessing of God on his life. And that's inspiring. I mean, that's a good thing to want, to want the presence and blessing of God upon your life. And we know that people who just want stuff or more money or more power or more fame or to be an Instagram influencer don't inspire us so much, but we're more inspired by people that want something that's of substance, of value. And story helps us to see the things that are good and also the things that are bad. And stories help us to see and resonate with what is true and reality. Have you ever watched a movie and you're just like, yeah, that makes 
that it's true. It resonates with you. You ever watch a movie that's like, yeah, that's good and that's bad. It's like when you watch The Matrix, that movie, you're like, that's what's going on. We're all in The Matrix right now, right? So stories have that effect on us. And that's why I was interested in the work of Robert McKee. He's an old guy from Hollywood who used to teach at USC. He trains screenwriters. In fact, some of his students have written movies like Forrest Gump, Aaron Brockovich, The Color Purple, award-winning stories. But what McGee teaches these days is that story these days is actually in decline. Have you noticed it? Like, anybody having a hard time finding a good movie to watch? You're like, hey, it's the weekend, I want to watch a good movie. And a lot of you are like, yeah, you know, there's, you know, some people are like, yeah, everything's like filthy. But other people are like, you know, I'm just looking around on Netflix and there's no compelling story to watch. There's nothing interesting for me. Subscription rates are uh, actually lowering. The market is flooded with bad stories right now. And this is why McGee, who is an agnostic, doesn't believe in God and doesn't like Christians. Look at what he says about why stories are declining. He says, the final cause of the decline of stories runs very deep. Values. Those values are actually in decline and story is being affected by it. The writer shapes story around a perception of what's worth living for, what's worth dying for, what is foolish to pursue, the meaning of justice, truth, the essential values. Ours has become an age of moral and ethical cynicism, relativism, and subjectivism, a great confusion of values. As the family disintegrates and sexual antagonisms rise, the erosion of values has brought with it a corresponding erosion of story. This guy who's an agnostic sounds like a Christian pastor because he's acknowledging that stories are getting worse because no one has values, ethics, morality, or convictions about anything. And maybe it could be that some of your stories are not going in the right direction because you have nothing that gives you a sense of truth, and values. You see, and when Jesus comes into your life, and he, you, you allow him to run your life, because by the way, that's what Jesus does. He runs things. And when we, we allow him to come into our lives, okay, he'll be nice about it. Um, sometimes he'll be very, very challenging about it. But what he wants is to run things in your life. Sure, he's Savior, but he wants to be your Lord. See? And when you allow him to run things and you live according to his convictions, he places a conviction and ambition in your heart to change the world for the better. And so write down your good Christ-honoring conviction. What is that one thing you want to change in the world that's in alignment with Jesus? Now look at number four. A good story has an inciting incident. If there's no struggle, the story is boring. If there's no pain in our lives, there's no change in our lives. You ever met someone that never had any problems and they seem to have never made any mistakes and they're typically boring, aren't they? 
They're, no, they're not very interesting to, to be around. They're not interesting to listen to or to talk to. Now, conversely, I would say that there are some kids that grow up in church and they're pretty good kids and they've not gone through a whole lot. And they hear stories in church of that person that was on drugs and in the gutter and all this kind of stuff. And the person got changed and restored. And then the kid that grew up in church thinks, you know, oh man, I'm, you know, my, I don't have a big story. I mean, I just believed in Jesus and stuff like that. Look, kid, I want to tell you something today. You don't have to move towards trouble to create a good story. If you live long enough, trouble will come to you. Isn't that right? It happens. And our Bible character, Jacob, he created his own inciting incident problem when he started manipulating his brother. He had a desire to take something from his brother and he was willing to manipulate him with his pretty good culinary skills. He made a delicious stew. His brother was starving and he took advantage of his brother in that moment and said, hey, I'll give you some stew for your birthright. So he swindled his brother out of the birthright. And I believe that this story is the initial conflict or the inciting incident in Jacob's life. What's an inciting incident? Well, an inciting incident of a story is the event that sets the plot into motion, thrusting the main character into the action. And so let me ask you a question today. Think in your mind, what's the first inciting incident you can remember about your life that set things in motion? Maybe for some of you, it was the divorce when you were a kid. As much as we hate to talk about it, we all know that for some of us, it was when the abuse happened. For others, it was the car accident where someone got altered, changed forever. For others, it was the death of a loved one. Those are things that happened to you. Other inciting incidents are happening because of the things you do the wrong, that I do wrong. When you took a first hit of whatever that substance was, when you decided you want to steal that thing for yourself, when you decided you wanted to manipulate someone, it set in motion the action of your story. And so what I want to ask you to consider doing is to write down your inciting incident, whether it happened to you or you happened to it, that set these things in motion in your story. And now let's move on to the last one. The last characteristic of a good story is a sense of resolution. Your story has to have different points of resolution. You know, Jacob here struggled with his brother Esau, and he manipulated his brother. Then he got into a manipulation war with his crazy uncle Laban. And then he got into a wrestling match and a struggle with God. Let's check in on that story. Genesis 32, 24. He meets this mysterious man at night and this mysterious man touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. And he replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him from now on, you will be called Israel because you fought with God and with men and have won. 
Then he blessed Jacob there, and Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life have been spared, has been spared. So who was he wrestling with? Because the passage says he's wrestling with God. And then another part of the passage, it says he was wrestling with a man. Which was it? Was it God or was it a man? Well, theologians would say it's what you call a theophany where he encountered the pre-incarnate Jesus, who is the God-man, Jesus. And a lot of us believe that Jacob wrestled Jesus that strange evening when he wrestled with Jesus. Jesus touched his hip, and now for the rest of his life, Jacob's going to walk with a limp. And Jesus knows what it's like to have an injury and a scar. Because even after he rose again from the dead, you know, Jesus still had the scars in his hands and his feet from where he died on the cross for our sins, right? And here's why. Because in the kingdom, what looks like a scar on this earth is a mark of honor in the kingdom. And some of you, as you've wrestled with God in your stories and struggled, you've been touched in your hip, hip and you're walking with a limp and people in this world thinks it's a weakness, but in the kingdom, when it's transformed by Jesus, it's actually a strength. Let me show you what I mean by that. There was this little boy, 10 year old, who wanted to learn to wrestle and he chose to learn the most advanced form of wrestling, judo. But what you got to understand about this boy is that he started taking judo lessons even though he didn't have a left arm. He lost his left arm in a tragic car accident. And so in order to empathize with this boy, what I want you to do right now is if you would take your left hand and just kind of put it behind your back for a minute. Will you do that? And can you imagine trying to learn a martial art, a form of wrestling judo without your left arm? Now you can take your, your hands out in front of you because I don't want you to have to go to the chiropractor after church today. You know what I mean? But, but this kid kept studying with a great Japanese sensei. And after three months, the boy wanted to question the sensei because he'd only learned one move. Every lesson, they just worked on this one move. And he said, sensei, I've been training for three months. Don't you think it's time for me to learn more than one move in judo? And the sensei said, oh, no, one move is all you will ever learn because this one move is all you will ever need. And so he kept training. He kept working on his one judo move. And sensei, after several months, put him in a tournament. And the kid's like, what? I'm in a tournament. I don't know what to do in a tournament. I just know one move, right? And so sensei puts him in and he wins his first match with his one move. He's like, whoa, I won a match. And then the matches keep getting harder. And he's like, how am I going to do it with just one move? And somehow it just always works out. And so he, then he finally gets into the finals. And the next kid he's going to have to wrestle is a big kid. And this kid's experienced and really skilled at, at judo. And they start the match, and it's not looking good for our kid without the left arm, you know? In fact, it looks so bad for our kid that the referee stopped the match, and he was about to call the match because it looked like things could get ugly. And Sensei stepped in. He said, oh, no, 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 don't stop the match. He can go. 
Let him go. He's going to be fine. So the referee let the match continue. And they kept wrestling. They kept fighting. And then the bigger kid got overly aggressive. And the kid used his one move. And he pinned the bigger kid. And he was now the champion of this tournament. So they're riding home in conversation. They're talking about the details of every match during the tournament. And then the kid musters up the courage to ask the question that was really on his mind. He said, Sensei, how in the world did I win this whole tournament with just one move? And the sensei said, son, you've almost mastered the most difficult move in all of judo. That's the first reason that you won. But the second reason is the only known defense for your one move is for your opponent to grab your left arm. See? (laughs) That boy's struggle became his story. Right on? Anybody tracking with me? Check this out. One Tuesday night here after our waking service, I met a woman that she seemed to be walking through life with a limp without a spiritual left arm in a sense because of all that had happened to her. She's an amazing woman. Her name's Minerva. We wanted to show you her story by way of video. Take a look. When I was a child, my mother and my father were both abusive to each other. Uh, My father uh, ended up dying of alcoholism and my mother wasn't the same after that. I had three brothers, and those three brothers saw abuse growing up. So two out of the three were abusing their girlfriends and their children. And I remember waking up, I was eight years old, and uh, I had thrown up. And I was looking for my mom, and um, I went to the front yard, and my brother was beating up my mother. And I remember saying, stop. And he calmly looked at me, and I remember him on top of my mother, him calmly looking at me and telling me, uh, don't worry about it, everything's okay. Having that impact, even growing up, is when domestic violence happened, I didn't see it as violence. I saw it as a norm. Growing up, I was looking for for love, and um, I ran across my first person that I was with for nine years, and... Uh, subconsciously I was looking for my father and uh, he was an alcoholic as well at that time then I went on to uh, another man uh, after um, I thought I had found the one that showed me that what love was he ended up um, passing away three months later tragically so then I was left alone again with three children I found the third man and the third man was He seemed like he could love me unconditionally. And I married him and he ended up being very uh, abusive in all the ways he could be abused, um, emotionally, mentally, physically, uh, spiritually, and sexually. And it was when I lost everything that I loved. Um, I had three children and I had to sign them um, to the first father. I ended up going back to the abuser and just thinking that that this is all the choices I had. 
And during there, um, I found God and I found City Tribe. It's being connected into a, a tribe or a group where I was no longer alone. And I was able to build the courage and, the, and I had the support to say no and to stick to my no. And I remember having a moment in court and I began to stand in my truth of what happened. It was the first moment where I separated um, being connected to him to being connected to God. And what led me to begin the Hope Tribe was uh, there was a lot of people, especially in the faith community, that had no idea how to deal with domestic violence. I remember being in a, in a classroom and sitting there and nobody showed up. And it was in that moment where I began to pray and ask God, is this my calling? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing for you? And he revealed to me then that it was because that I showed up, that that's all he asks everybody to do, just to show up. And if you feel like showing up, you would be the only one, that just shows how much courage that person has. And that's what the traits that God's looking for, just, just saying yes. My story has a lot of trauma and tragedy, and I've overcome it. And I believe that others can too with the help of God. And I'm just a vessel trying to help others. That's a pretty brave woman, is it not? This is the woman who found her one judo move. From her struggle comes her story. And you have one too. So let's think about that as we bow for prayer and as we bow before the Lord. If I could ask you to raise your hand, if you feel like there's some struggle or something that other people don't have to deal with, but you do, just raise your hand. Show me your hand real quick. Anybody? Yeah, I struggle. Well, Lord, you see these hands and by faith we say, we're gonna move from our old name to our new name. And by faith we say that our struggle is now our story. Our test is becoming our testimony. There is purpose in our pain. And we're going to move forward in being sources of restoration by sharing our story with others. We thank you for what you're going to do in terms of a release of power. And we give you all the credit and glory and honor. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Everyone said, amen, amen. Was we wrap up today, if Minerva's tribe group would be helpful for you, it's offered here every Thursday night upstairs on the second floor of Kids City at 6.30 p.m. Just say you're going to a Bible study or something, go by, and she would love to love on you and pray with you and help you. Next week, you'll want to make sure and come on back because we're going to explore the idea of how you can take what just what God has given you in terms of your skills, ability, and what you have in your hands to be multiplied by God in order to make a huge exponential impact in the world. And the reason that all these good things can happen in our church is because a handful of you guys are 
through your generosity, funding the good ministries that happen in and through these church, this church. And since we don't like to put the pressure on you regarding finances, we don't pass buckets or plates, but there are four ways that you can bring your tithes and offerings here at City Tribe Church by mail. You can text to tithe. You can go to the giving stations located near the exits, or you can go to our website, citytribe.church slash tithe. So let's stand up together and before you guys worship through your financial stewardship, if you want to put an arm around your crew, if you're with someone you know, or you just put a hand out in a position to receive, receive these words over you. Dear brothers and sisters, go from here with your one judo move. Your struggle becomes your story, a story that reveals the restoring power of our good God. You guys have an amazing week. And we'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.